Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Today we continue exploring the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success with a Q&A that Brian and David Bach hosted live at Buffini & Company's elite event, The Peak Experience. David is a trusted financial expert and best-selling author of books including The Automatic Millionaire. Over the past two decades, he has touched the lives of tens of millions and has appeared on NBC's Today Show, Oprah, Fox News, and more. In this Q&A, you'll hear fundamentals for building your personal and business wealth and gain clarity in many of the areas you've been curious about. Let's listen in. I've done the work, I've built the savings, but I've been through a tough financial situation in the past, and I'm at a point where I've got $10,000 in credit card debt, I got $20,000 in the bank, and I can't bring myself to pay off the credit card debt because I'm afraid to not have that money available in the next downturn. Do I just bite the bullet and pay it off? How do I mentally get over that? That's the question. That is a great question. So let me cover the issue with credit card debt, and then it's basically a math game, right? So if you tell me you have $10,000 in credit card debt, the core question is, do I want you to pay all your credit card debt off and have no emergency money? And the answer is actually no, because it's really important to have emergency money. With that being said, the first thing I would do is I would try to tackle, is there a way for me to get the interest rate lower on the debt, right? Because most credit card debt today, brutally, is like between 17 to 22% interest. But there are lots of things you could do. Like we could literally like whole program on that, right? Like mm -hmm. here's the 10 things you can do to get the rates lower. Yeah. And there's literally 10 things. There's, I don't like people pulling equity out of their homes to pay off credit card debt because you don't actually learn the lesson and then you'll just yeah. run it right back up again. But there are many things that you can do. So the answer would be, no, I don't want you to take all your cash and pay it off. But here's the thing with these personal questions. They're very personal. I literally have to understand who the person is and understand what they're going through yeah. and really know what the interest rate is. Sometimes it's a matter of like doing a little bit, paying off a little bit of the credit card debt, and then I want you refunneling where your money's going to pay that debt down faster. And I'll tee into this from a coaching perspective. And again, the depth is that a lot of personal finance, it's personal. But the big thing that David kind of just touched on there is, oh yeah, you don't learn your lesson. So to me, I always find the answer in this stuff is both and. You pay down the debt and save while also trying to invest. Because what people want is they want the pain to go away. I want to be debt-free, right? It happens to be that in this book, there's a whole section on how to pay your debt off. Really? It's chapter seven, and it starts on page 196, and I teach the method called done on last payment. Perfect. That walks you through how to snowball your debt away. There it is. High five. Have you guys ever heard the snowball principle? You ever heard that? So it's both and in that regard. That's the beautiful thing. The resources are here. The tools are here. You have the book. Now the next step is you read the book. Great question, and I love that. Yep, next. I have two questions, if I can. First is that defined benefit plan. You said if you have an employee, don't do it. What if you just have a part-time employee? Does that matter? Because I only have a part-time, one part-time employee. The answer is it depends on how long that part-time employee has been there. Seven if they're years. an employee, they're an employee. How many years? Seven years. It's too long. You don't want it. Look, I had a defined benefit plan when I had employees. All I can tell you is after I did it for about five years and I started creating these liabilities, I didn't like it at all. Right. So I actually stopped it and went back to having a solo 401k plan. I would not do a defined benefit plan with employees unless, here's the unless, you're only going to have one employee. And you're like, you know what? I care about this person. I'm willing to put a certain percentage away for this person every year and have that liability. But it, my preference would be that you do these defined benefit plans without employees. Just so I give you context, 
I looked at it a long time ago from a real estate team standpoint. It would have eventually, you know, put me out of business. Okay. So if you have a team and you're going to have more people, it's a great piece of advice. In many of your cases, it's not enough. It's too dangerous and it's too much money. There's so many other vehicles for you. It's just one of the things out there. It's also, remember this, a lot of the advice you got today, if you really learn and master what David gave you today, didn't he give you phenomenal stuff to share with your clients? To be on a listing appointment? Hey, did you know you can buy a home with an IRA? Hey, do you know that renting is 41 times better to be an owner? I mean, you guys got a whole bunch of buyer and listing presentation content today. Okay, so again, some of your clients, you'll be giving them that advice about getting a defined benefit plan. It just might not be what's best for you. Second question. If you no credit card debt and you have a savings for emergencies, but you're not putting as much as you recommended in, say, investing for retirement, would you do that first or pay your house off first? That was my question. So it's funny because it's both, right? Like, I would be increasing whatever you're saving in your retirement accounts. And I would be chipping away at your mortgage. Whether it's a bi-weekly mortgage payment plan, which I talk about in the book, it pays your mortgage off five years earlier, or just one extra payment a year, pays your mortgage off about six, seven years earlier, I'd be doing both. But what I don't want to say is, People put off upping their 401k plans because they tell themselves they're going to go do something else and they don't. So mm. I'd rather have Did you guys you... hear that because that's what happens, right? They go, Oh, you know what? I'll make an extra payment on my mortgage at the end of the year. And then they don't do it. Right. So I'd rather have you be overfunding in your retirement accounts than not doing it. So a couple things real quick, David's brides in real estate. So how'd you like her first day in real estate? He's talking to her about getting an assistant in an LLC. And you're like, I'm 22 years. I don't have that stuff. The second day he called me and he said, um, will you take care of my wife? So unbeknownst to you, many of you sat at a success tour next to David Box Bride. And they have this thing at this success tour called Calls, Notes, and Popeyes. That, and again, you can Google this stuff. And in the Calls, Notes, and Popeyes, people have been known to make extra leads and extra leads into extra sales. And some of that extra sales can turn into cash. And you can actually save some of that cash. And you can be an automatic freaking millionaire if you'll do the Calls, Notes, and Popeyes. And the best wealth expert in the world send his wife to the same event you guys go to to be successful. Hello! <laughs> Next question. In your book, and what changed our lives a lot was putting the 10% away first. And in your opinion, is that the number one thing that people need to do to start this whole path? Because a lot of us haven't yeah, started. Yeah, so it but... is the number one thing. And some people don't believe that they can go from zero to 10%. So I will go, great, go 1%. And then the next month, go another 1%. Because you'll never notice a 1% incremental difference. But if I could go, anybody who's not doing this to go from zero to 10%, definitely. I will tell you, we actually know the percentage that creates millionaires, and it's 14%. And how do we know that it's 14%? Because Fidelity did the largest study of 401k self-made millionaires in the world, and the average person inside a Fidelity 401k plan who did this became a millionaire by the age of 59 and they saved 14% of their gross income, and they also were 75% stock and 25% bonds. There's research that shows, but I always start with 10, try to get you up to one hour a day of your income. In this room, I gotta be candid. With this guy's training, I want you guys maxing out your SEP IRA accounts. Or your solo 401k plans. Give it to him, come on, keep going. Give it to him. (laughs) Stick it, go, go harder, go, full. 
Go beyond the step. Let's go. Come you, on. You know what? Up, up. My wife was like, do I really need to put $55,000 in the SEP IRA? And I'm like, yes, you really do. <laughs> so more is better. And then the real question that I had was, at the very beginning, you talked about an accountant and how yeah. most accountants think, and it's like, get you to the least amount of money to be taxed on. So what would you be looking for in the right accountant as you start to build wealth and as you start to get this income? So even if you have the wrong accountant, you can go in and have a new conversation. You can say, I want to build wealth. So what I'm not looking to do is just look at a bunch of gimmicks to have no taxes at the end of the year because then I won't actually have built wealth. So I've been told I need to maximize a retirement account. I've been told that I should be buying real estate. The two biggest things that will reduce your tax returns and allow you to increase your net worth is fully using retirement accounts and buying real estate. Because investment property, to this day still, is the best vehicle to reduce your taxes. I'm hearing what you're saying, brother. I'm hearing what you're saying. He's having a moment over there. Yeah. Okay? Common sense is not common practice. There's a reason why most people are not millionaires. There is sacrifice and there's discipline. There's mentality to be involved here. But 22 years ago, I started sharing people the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, written in 1927. And there's one principle in the start of that book, and it says, a portion of all you earn is yours too. And so now David Bach comes to that principle and he breaks it down into you bit by bit by bit. And now he's telling you 14%. We have science, we have research, we know the number. And he also shared, if you're doing one right now, and so you have life experiences, you have challenges. You know, you get married, you get unmarried. You know, you have kids that move in, you have kids that move out, you have kids move back. Okay, left with luggage, come home with baggage. You've had this. <laughs> and so guess what? You were doing 14% and now you're down to one. Yet a parent gets sick. And maybe they didn't have their financial house in order. And now you're their financial house. Okay? And you went from 14% to minus 6. And so you start back. And how do you start back? 1%. Yeah. 2%. But the key is when you've done it once, it's easier to do it again. You know, right? What you just said is, is so good. I'm going to almost just say the same thing all over again, which is that I have a lot of people now, because I've been doing this for 25 years, that will email me their detailed success stories. Right? Like, I had nothing, and here's how much money I have. And the numbers are unbelievable inevitably people will also tell me that they've gotten knocked down, that they got off track, that something went wrong, right. and then they came back to it. It's a lot like sometimes when we go on a diet, right? Like we lose weight and we put it back on. The beauty to money though is if you can constantly get back on, you can be successful. It's decades, not days. And it's really important to acknowledge what you're doing right. Like I didn't even get to mm. say that. The thing is, a lot of you are doing these things right. So instead of beating yourself up for what's not done, like daily practice of mine is constant gratitude. So my daily morning practice is I wake up, I meditate, and then I literally write out in a gratitude journal the three things I'm grateful for, the three things I'm looking forward to, and at the end of the day, I write down the three things that made my day great. Every single day, in a journal, and then with a picture of the day. In fact... Let's get you and I to get a selfie because I'll post it, it in on, my man. journal. So with all this money stuff, when I would leave like on the plane flight home, make a list of what you're doing right so that you don't leave in a hole like, oh, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing this. Make a list of what you're doing right. Acknowledge yourself for what you're doing right. And then make a list of what can I do to still get better. So a little aside, because this is a unique event, unique group, unique coaching experience. Dave and I are doing a podcast. I don't know when that was. Six months ago, maybe. I don't know. And... 
we're getting ready to do a podcast to help hundreds of thousands of people with their finances. And in preparation, Dave and I are chatting, and we spend 45 minutes talking about our morning routine of gratitude and meditation. And people think, oh, the finance guy, and here's the finance guy, and here's the finance guy. To understand this, success leaves clues. And what you'll see is each one of these guys and each one of these gals and all these people I bring, they're doing the same things. Success leaves clues. And so he just dropped gold there. Okay, acknowledge when you do something right. Has anyone here ever beat themselves up? Okay, don't beat yourself up. That's what your coach is for. Okay, but does your coach ever point out that you've done something right? Yes or no? Because we forget. And then, oh, by the way, here's my little routine. Yeah, he knows more about just money. He's like, what else does this guy know? The finance guy goes, oh, yeah, I start my morning with gratitude, and then I do my meditation. That's big money you just heard. You've got to catch it. Success leaves clues. Successful people all do the same things. All the same things. And that's why birds of a feather flock together, and that's why we meet at an event 15 years ago, I know. which, like most people, pass ships in the night. John Gordon, most people, no. Relationships are formed. Connections are made. Great stuff. Who else has a question? A question for you, David, is I serve the older market, 62 plus, the average appointment, you know, 75, 80-year-old. They don't have time to start over necessarily. So I'm in the reverse mortgage space. I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion on it. So not to use a reverse for consumerism, but as a safety net when the health crisis happens and things like that. So I don't know if you have any, any opinions on reverse mortgages as a, as know, a safety net. You're not going to really like my opinion on reverse I, I'm mortgages. I'm open. So just so you know, my business, my actual day-to-day -day business is I run a registered investment advisory firm, and we help independent financial advisors all over the country basically become celebrities in their marketplace. We started this business two years ago. We have like 400 financial advisors now, and we're up to $3.5 under management. And those advisors, our clients, are the client between the age of 60 and death, right? Like they're all of our advisors, for the most part, work with retirees. And so the issue of reverse mortgages comes up a lot, right? And the challenge with reverse mortgages is if you stumble across somebody, and I'm sure this is not you, but if, if your grandparents stumble across somebody in the reverse mortgage business who is not ethical and honest, it can destroy people. So there's still a lot of stuff being done in this space that's not regulated enough, tight enough, where there are bad elements out there where people are pulling the money out of their home, using it, running through it, and not having a cushion. So what I do believe is going to happen in the next 10, 15, 20 years is I do believe that it's all going to get better, that the reverse mortgage space is going to improve, and that it's going to be a very important tool for so many of us, right? Because there's 75 million people who probably don't have enough money saved for retirement and their equity is all in their home. Let me tell you, he loves your answer, and here's why. Because this guy is leading the charge to bring not only regulation, accountability, and structure to that whole industry, and we have to remind him once in a while to make sure he takes care of his own business, yeah. but he has such a passion for this, he's dealing with these people, and so he actually loves your answer more than you can possibly imagine, because he's the bomb with it. And the same challenge with reverse mortgage, by the way, exists in the financial advisory space. I just did my training program for our elite advisors. And I am relentlessly in front of our advisors telling them to run a clean business that does what is right, honestly, and ethically by their clients. Because if they do that, first of all, that's how this business should look. You should be able to meet with a financial advisor who's a fiduciary, who always will put your best interest at heart, period, with no conflict of interest. You should know what all the fees are. Like I hammer this into our financial advisors. 
And I said to our top elite financial advisors, our group, we were at Sea Island two weeks ago. I said, guys and gals, there's no gray area in this. It's a black and white business. You're either running a clean business that always puts your client first or you're not. And I go, and here's the problem. Some of you rationalize by putting a little bit of money into stuff that they shouldn't be put into because you're getting a high to pay commission. You know, you got 95% of your business is clean and 5% of it's not clean. I go, here's the deal. When you sell crap, even a little crap, you will later smell like shit. And that got through to them. (laughs) So it's the same thing with reverse mortgages. And if you can weed out that element of the business, you can make a big difference in people's lives. And that will work in the real estate business too, right? Great. Who's next? First of all, Brian, thank you. Your financial teachings over the years helped us put automatic in our life totally. And David, I'd like to thank you because you are real. And we appreciate that. Quick question. We are a small group, but we have several employees. And we were told to put a simple IRA in place for our retirement savings through our business. That also is instant for any employee that joins our group. Is there something else when you file as an S-Corp that you can do where you can increase the owner's savings and match without having to do the same for the employees? First of all, the answer is yes. How many employees do you have? Three, full-time. Okay, so it's funny because simple plans are not so simple. Yeah, very simple. <laughs> so, so like the simple plans are in the book. And I always go, I don't know why they call these plans simple because they're actually complicated. What is becoming more simple is that you actually can open now 401k plans for small businesses. Right. So you can open up a 401k plan for a small business. Believe it or not, you can actually do it with three employees because there are now online 401k plans, which in fact can cover a couple of them in the book, where you can open up a 401k plan, make it available for your employees, and you don't have to match it. And then you can put more money away because you can do the 18500 if you're under 50 or the 24500 if you're over 50. That's what I would look into. Can I throw something to you? Please. Every year now, because we're a 22-year-old business, I'm now a grandpa, we started a very aggressive 401k plan for our staff. And we've taught financial principles. There's financial principle classes taught in cycles every year at Buffini Company. And so what's happening now is I have people who've compounding and been consistent. And every year we have 10 to 12 Buffini millionaires. They call themselves. I don't call them that. They come, I'm a Buffini millionaire. And they retire. And I'll give an example. Judy Humrick was one of our first coaches. Okay, brilliant lady, had a passion. She's climbed every major mountain peak in the world except Mount Everest, right? And Judy Humrick had 92% of her clients that made two and a half times of what she made working for me every year. Judy Humrick coached for me for 21 and a half years and retired this year. She's going to Kilimanjaro next week. Judy Humrick has a net worth that's three to four times that of the average client she coached who were making three to four times what she was making. You should let that sink in for a second because this is what we talked about before I came here is to me, this is the pain of this business is that most of you have an income that is at least five to 10 times what the average American has. 
but you're not building a net worth that's equal to many average Americans. By the way, just here's something for you. How many of you have a team? 104 people at Buffini and Company just made an extra $11,000 a year without giving them a single dollar more in pay. Because we just walked them through a financial program that took eight weeks, and the average savings reduction increase has been $11,000 for 104 people. I have 104 happier employees that are making $11,000 more a year and the payroll didn't go up more. Here's the thing, you get to learn these principles. You get to apply these principles. Then share them. You get to teach these principles. And so the thing is this, my goal is this, that anyone who works for me and it's their career, that at a minimum, every single person who works for me ends up their career at Buffini Company a millionaire. That's my minimum goal because they're impacting and improving the lives of people every day. I get all the credit. They do all the work. They are everything to this process. You know, my wife was there last night. <laughs> Beverly stood there last night till the last person was hugged and whatever. And she came away from me. She goes, all these people, you've changed my life. You've changed my life. And she goes, man, the coaches are the heroes. The staff are the heroes. Yeah. Okay. That's where it's at. And so here's my goal for you. You want to have Team Wonka? You sit down with them and say, here it is, boys and girls. My goal, let me tell you what would really get me fired up, is I want every one of you to become a millionaire. Lee Trevino said this on tour one year, caddy makes 10% of the winnings of the golfer. And Lee Trevino said, my goal for you is for you to be number two in earnings on the PGA Tour this year to his caddy. Because I'm going to win so much, you're going to be number two on tour. So it's not like, how can I get more and da, da 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 It's really, how can I grow you and grow myself at the same time? You study, you invest, you grow this stuff and you teach it. And by George, you have people who go, I'm never leaving you. I'm staying with you yeah. forever. And I can't give you enough. We do a matching fund 401k. Build your fortune, build their fortune, and go and serve your clients together. And your team is loving it. I'll just throw one more thing on this too, because as you have teams... You have to lean into the teaching process, just like you're all leaning in every year. You have to lean into the teaching process on your employees every year, too. So like the company that I'm a part of, we have 500 employees at the parent company, and the average savings rate in the 401k plan was 8%, which is phenomenal. It's like twice what the average 401k plan, but that was before I got there. So I said to the two founders, guys, you're a financial service company. Let's get them higher than 8%. They're like, 8% is really good. I went in and did a speech for those employees. We got 113 people to increase their 401k plan within 48 hours of one speech. And I kind of looked back at them and said, they're like, you know, that was the most expensive speech we've ever had anyone do. <laughs> but they're all millennials. And so we have all these millennials. The average age of our employees under 30, we have all these millennials now literally on an automatic millionaire path. And they're in Topeka. Like, you know, once you get somebody embedded in a company that believes you care... They're also not going anywhere. Yeah, it's amazing. And so one of the things that's challenging in a team environment in real estate is they see you all out in front and you're making all this money. Sometimes you even feel guilty about it. And now you go, no, here's our plan. Okay, I'm going to get rich quick. You're going to get rich slow and we're going to do it together. <laughs> okay, a couple more. Let's go. Hi, I own a C corporation and use payroll service through my bank. And I want to know, since my husband is drawing Social Security now, do you think we should continue to pay him and let him contribute to Social Security? And what do you suggest we do with the excess business cash that you mentioned up to the one-year reserve? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So how, for, how old is your husband? 66 and drawing Social Security. 
I'm only asking you, should I continue to deduct Social Security tax for him? Because I can just stop paying him. It's a great vehicle, and I would keep paying him. Well, then why? His Social Security benefit is not going up, is it? No, not really. I mean, let me give you my take on Social Security, by the way, too. My belief is if you don't need Social Security, you should take it as soon as you can. So most people teach that you should wait on Social Security because the return on Social Security is 8% higher per year the longer you wait. We didn't even get to talk about this, which I would still love to. My big belief is if you don't need the money, you take the extra money as soon as you can so you can go enjoy your life and have as much fun as possible. Because in your 60s is when you are the healthiest you're going to be in retirement. Your husband's going to be healthier at 66 than he's going to be at 76. You're going to be healthier at 76 than you're going to be at 86. But the 60s are the time to fully enjoy retirement. I call it return on retirement. R-O-R instead of R-O-I. People focus on return on investments. That's what the financial service industry wants you to do. They want you to focus on the 1%, 5%, 7%, 8%. I want you to focus on retirement, on return on retirement, getting the most out of it you can. That's awesome. I, I never heard of that. That's brilliant. Great. So The second one is, what do we do with excess business cash that you mentioned up to the one year that you want us to have? So the first thing is, with all cash, is make sure you're getting the highest rate that you can. There has been no rate to get until about 12 months ago. The good news is that now that rates are going up, money markets are paying, if you have the right money market account, are paying up to 2%. So depending on your tax bracket, I would have your money in a money market account that's liquid until you start to figure out a more advanced investment strategy. I'd be in the highest paying money market account I can be in. If I was in a high tax state, I'd be in a tax-free money market account. And then if you're beyond your reserves and so on and so forth, now that extra money now is, okay, you can bonus yourself. You can, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to now invest it. But you need, like you said, you need an investment strategy for not just what you do with your business cash, but your personal cash as well. So you've got high-quality problems. Make sure you get a pro. Okay, great. A couple more. You spoke a lot about LLCs this morning, but a lot of realtors have S-Corps. And is there a reason why you focus on LLCs and not S-Corps? So I started with an S-Corp. Uh, I moved to New York. I was in California. The New York attorneys believe strongly that LLCs, at least in New York, made a lot more sense and they were easier to manage. They are often easier to manage. So I have just continued to do LLCs. But whether it's an LLC or an S-Corp, they're very similar. The key to having an LLC or an S-Corp, this is my belief, is that you want the tax return to be a business tax return. Right. What happens to so many of you is you're running your deductions through your personal return. So like my big thing with my wife was like, I don't want to see any of your real estate deductions on our personal return. I want you to have an LLC just like I have an LLC. And then when we have our personal returns, that's going to show up under the partnership line, which is much cleaner for lots and lots of reasons. One of the biggest one being that you get audited less and they have to audit you twice So when you run all your expenses through your personal returns, if you're still doing that, that's why real estate agents get audited a lot because all this stuff shows up on their returns. As soon as you move it, now I'm not telling you to do anything illegally. I'm just telling you what people do legally. Once it's sitting over on an LLC or it's sitting on an S-Corp, it's a way cleaner process. Right. I had an S-Corp in real estate. It's a very healthy thing, good thing. The difference he mentioned, accountant versus CPA, and he mentioned both. One of the reasons is accountant to help you with the financial piece. You guys get a lot of that done with your coach, by the way. Dave talks about budgeting, and I've always agreed with him because 
the reason he doesn't teach budging is people don't do it. The reason we teach budging is that we're going to sick a coach on you and ride you like Zorro till you do it. <laughs> right? And so because it's the quickest way to get you up to speed, and if we can do it for your business, do it for your finances. So that accountant principle he's talking about, the first step in that is helping you keep the expenses in line and manage the cash and know what's coming in coming out. As you grow your business, you need to think like a business person and not like a realtor. And that means you need to have financial investment advice and you need a CPA. It may not be that you have the wrong person. It may you've not had the right conversation yet. And it also may be that you don't have the right person. But have the right conversation before you change the person. Okay? But expect them. You're a realtor and your clients are very demanding of you. And then we go to professional services and we don't demand anything of them. Demand the same level of excellence and service and care in the respectful, truth with grace way that you give. Because this is how I operate. And are you up to this standard? And if not, I got to go find someone who's really into this. So that's really the bigger question. Okay? So I have life insurance, and you got me thinking when I read your book, how much life insurance do I really need? I'm paying about 130 a month. It's 700,000 life insurance. I just changed it in January. I'm saving about $500 a month. And then I have another $300 a month that I save for my legacy project, which is low-cost housing, which I hope to build for the needy. That $300 a month has accumulated to 13000 right now. It's just sitting there, unfortunately. I don't know what to do with it. Do I reduce my life insurance and invest that money with my regular savings? It's the life insurance thing. Am I paying too much for that? Should I take $50 and put it in savings and let that grow? So let me go back to the basics of life insurance for a second. The way I presented life insurance here is it's a protection plan. I did not present it as an investment. Right. Which there are all types of kinds of life insurance that are investments. I just didn't go through that today. So the first thing is how much life insurance do you need to protect your family? That's the amount of life insurance you should have. How do you gauge that? So... First of all, it depends on how much you love your family. <laughs> and, wow, wait. And it depends on how much money do they really... You're like, you're like, if I die tomorrow, is the family dependent on my income? How long are they dependent on my income? You know, there are all kinds of generic forms, like, you know, 20 times your annual income is a, a typical death benefit. I don't want them to live better when I'm dead, though. That's... Like, no, 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 no. Is that no. not a good thing to say? No, no, no. no. Totally, like, <laughs> no terrible. joke. That's why I'm like... It all depends on how much you love your family. I no, do love them. No, no, I, I totally get it because I always say, like, you know... I'm glad you're working on that low-income housing for them, though. That's great. <laughs> At least they'll have a place to stay. Yeah. You're like, I don't want an incentive for my spouse to knock me off. Um, it's no joke. That's all personal. And I will say this, too. If you get too big of a life insurance policy and then you don't have trust set up for the kids, yeah. that could be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Because if you go out and buy 5 to $10 million of life insurance and you haven't put in a trust in place where that money actually is monitored and, and the kids, you, the last thing you want in the world is an 18-year-old getting a million dollars. So, but you don't sound to me like you're overinsured. No. Okay. Tell you a neat story. When I first come to the States, yeah. my brother Gary and I are painting some houses. And someone told us we should get life insurance. And we were both single guys that had no family or involved in each other. Don't need them then. <laughs> so, but we bought $100,000 worth of life insurance and made each other the beneficiaries. So the next day, we're painting a house in Del Mar. And there's a 28-foot ladder in the lobby. I have a tarp down on a tile floor. And because I sell the job and he's the lead painter, he always does the hard things. Right? Because I'm the salesman. I get most of the commission. You do all the deadly work. And so he goes up the top of the ladder. I'm standing at the bottom of the ladder. 
on a tarp on tile. And as he gets to the top of the ladder, it starts slipping back. And then it starts slipping back. And it starts slipping back. And he looks down at me. And I look at him. And he was thinking what I was thinking. So you got to be careful with that life insurance stuff. Okay, who's next? We're going to take just one or two more. Here we go. I'm going to speak for some of the other people here, maybe in the same position as I am. I am 66. And... I have not done as well financially as I should have over the years. So my question is, my accountant never liked the LLC thing, so that's probably, am I too late? Because I'm 66, could I still do an LLC? I can, right? Totally. Okay. And can I still do SEP or should I do a solo 401k? It all depends on your income. The SEP is the easiest one to do. So the SEP allows you to put 25% of your gross income away. If you told me, look, I'm making less than $100,000, but I want to put as much away as possible, then I do a solo 401k plan. I will tell you my wife is set up with a SEP IRA. That's the easier one to do. But really important, 66, not too late. Arlene Holt. Arlene Holt (laughs) comes to our seminar at 80, signs up for coaching. At 94, sold $27 million worth of real estate. So, you know, you, you have decades conceivably in front of you. Like, like, you look great, by the way. And My dad is 91, and he still complains that he's retired. So. Yeah, so I, I think really important, like, like you, you came here to grow, yeah. right? You're 66. You wouldn't be here. None of you would, by the way. You wouldn't be here if you actually didn't believe that your future is bigger than your past. Beautiful. Okay? Come on. Come on. Brilliant. Last one. Last one. Whoever has the mic, you're the last one. Thank you, Brian, for bringing Mr. Bach to us. Uh, I have a quick question. When you talk about 25% of your gross income, I always struggle with how much of the income I should pass through on the K-1 versus the W-2. Is the 25% only on the W-2 portion? This is where you sit down with your accountant, because this is really personal, right? Like, I debate this issue with my accountant every year. How much are we putting in the W-2? How much are we putting on the flow-through? Every accountant has a different opinion on this. I happen to want my W-2 as low as possible, and I run almost everything through the flow-through. But everybody's different. It depends also on the state that you're in. So We are in the two highest tax states in yeah. America. The New only York, place worse to live than California is to live where I live, which is New York City. Highest, I mean, I love living there, but it is the highest tax location in all of America. So you have to do things appropriately to that. And Arizona has some bennies and different things, and it's a dry retirement. Like a dry heat. Thank you. Great, great stuff. This man's got to get back to New York, and it's a long way to come, and he gave us so much more, and he dug in so deep, and he's absolutely phenomenal. Have you guys enjoyed Mr. David Bach? Come on. Thank you. Wow. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. You will be hearing more from my man. You will be seeing him again. God bless. Thanks, Dave, so much. Stay home. So one of the things you're getting to experience is if you came to Peak Experience or Mastermind 15 years ago, when a speaker would come on stage, it would be my first time meeting them. But I build relationships. And when you build relationships with people, they develop trust and mutual trust. And you get to know one another. And putting my name to people is a big deal. I always lead by serving. And what can I do to help? And what can I do to help? That's why when I call someone up, it's maybe 10 years later, they're like, what can I do? 
and you sow and you sow and you sow for a lot of years. Does that make sense? But the point is, you build relationships. And so you've watched this over these nights. I give you this all the time because I want you to observe the journey. I want you to observe what we go through. I want you to observe Buffini and Company and observe when we, okay, we put these things in place, grow our infrastructure and everything goes sideways and you can't get a return phone call. Or, you know, you can put this stuff in place and then, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Look at the details. Bit by bit, this is real life, real business. And you see this stuff. This is what relationships look like. Okay. And John Gordon said no to everything except when I called him. Now, I want to know about him and what he's doing for his health and this and that. I would never put him out like that. But he said, okay. And so it's about relationships. And so then the next thing that happens is you don't get a canned talk. And so you get the best of everybody. And so that's what makes special. And you guys deserve the best of it. You deserve everything we got for you so that you can learn it, live it, do it, teach it, and bring someone along in the carpool lane as opposed to this is our little private club. This is our little high school clique. I was never part of a clique in my life. I ain't never going to start one. Are you guys with me? I want you to form great relationships. I want you to connect. But bring people along on the journey with you. Bring your team along with you. I'd love you to be in a situation where years from now you're going, you know how many millionaires have worked for me? And tell me it's not possible. Of course it's possible. In the compounding effect, of course it's possible. And you cast the vision and they never thought it. I got a bunch of young people. They're sitting around. I got guys backstage. They're going, can this happen for me? Yeah. Yeah. You stay on the journey with us long enough and this is your calling and you're in your gifts and you keep growing and you keep, you're going to be a multimillionaire. You're 27 years of age. You'll be a multi, multimillionaire. So there's just so many great opportunities. Well, we hope you enjoyed this rich content and are able to implement these tools in your financial life. If you want to hear more from Brian and David on finances, you can take a listen to episode number 50, Finishing Rich. And if you've enjoyed this content, leave us a review on iTunes. As I leave you today, please enjoy this Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. Until next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. <laughs>